No. No. I don't want to block you for me so you can see my reaction, but I don't want to see anything. There, that's better. <laughs> yeah. It's distracting. Plus, I'm backwards when I look at me. So it's really weird, you know? Yeah, I, I normally just look at you. I don't look at what I'm doing. So, <laughs> okay. all right, let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fifth episode of the Global Health Impact Fund podcast. I'm your host, Mark Niels, and as usual, we're excited that you have joined us on this journey where we cover everything investor-related and health-related. Last episode, we covered how to understand due diligence. If you haven't listened to it yet, we highly recommend you do. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts now, so you can follow on there, uh, drop a five-star rating if you like what we're doing. So in today's episode, we're going to talk, to talk about how to support a company post-investment. As usual, I have my amazing co-host, Dr. Oren aloni Chavez, co-founder and CEO of the Global Health Impact Fund. Oren, hey. it's great to have you back. Yeah, thanks. Great. It's great to be here. Hey, I, I have a question. Since we're supposed to be based in science, uh, do we round up episode five to episode 10? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Statistically, <laughs> we're 10, 10 episodes in now. Yeah, let's get people to search for the missing five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll I'm sure that'll be a problem. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into this episode if you're okay with that, which is how to support a company post-investment. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about governance. You yeah, out. let's talk about governance. Actually, let's step back and and clarify because I think a lot of people, you know, venture capital as a as a profession, you know, I mean, you can wear many hats in venture capital, and certainly, a venture capitalist is nothing without the capital. If you don't bring money to a company, that's not going to help, right? So okay. you start with the money, you start with the fundraising. And then you do the due diligence and you choose the companies you want to invest in and you argue the terms and you come up with a term sheet and you make your investment. So that's already a lot of work. But from there, now you've made an investment. Now what? Right. And I think that's what we want to talk about today. And this is sort of the venture part of the venture capital. And I, I, I think sometimes it gets... Um, you know, it gets uh, under under thought of, but in, in, in the venture capitalists I speak with, this is actually the important part. Um, otherwise, it's like you're throwing around rapper money or you're king making, right? You know, you get a car and you get a car, but it's it's really more important, you know, I think our work than that. It's and where the fun begins. It's where, in some respects, the fun begins, although arguably you're nothing without the other stuff. So, you know, that other stuff is, you know, mission critical. Um, but this is where we get to flex a little bit, you know, and sort of be more expert and, you know, do stuff and feel like we're making impact. So, um, so, you know, touching off of that. So when we talk about the ways that a venture capitalist can be involved now, first, it's important to recognize that, you know, not every venture capitalist wants to be involved, although most of the people I work with do. Um, you know, so some venture capitalists may just invest and they sit back and let other people do that sort of more venture work and you know they're more about you know almost like running a private mutual fund yeah. uh, and that's okay too right we need capital you know capital is increases the wheel 
So there's room for people like that. Um, but people, people who fall more, more into the bucket that I live in, <laughs> you could say I live in a bucket, is, um, you know, we want to be involved with the companies. And, you know, certainly with our network of doctors and investing in healthcare companies, what really excites us is the notion that we can, you know, change medicine for the better and change it at scale and, and remarkable change, not incremental change. So uh, we know that companies, you know, you start with a great idea in a company and you end up with hopefully a successful innovation that changes and improves lives. But wishful thinking isn't a business strategy, right? And the earlier you get into a company, the more close to wishful thinking their company is. Now, of course, they can be really smart people who've done this before. And, I'm, you know, I, I don't mean to be you know, dismissive of all of that. But along the way, things happen and you get more and more precise with how you execute your business. And I think, you know, at a high level, what the venture capitalist does, particularly in the early companies when they don't have resources for consultants and, excuse me, large, you know, management teams and things like that, that the venture capital can, the venture capitalists can come in and provide a lot of that guidance and, um, you know, really help the company accelerate, at least to the point where they can afford and have the size and, and footprint to bring on people in more full-time roles to do those jobs. So that's the high level of supporting a startup. Um, you know, obviously from a fiduciary standpoint, you know, if we write even like we're a small fund, we're not, you know, a billion dollar fund like others, you know, we write a million dollar check to a company, we want that million dollar check to have a healthy return. Like we're not doing it because we're philanthropy. So it's really important that we write checks to good people and good companies, but then they they use that money well. And so we want to be, over, you know, overseeing that in some fashion. So the first thing before we even get into the things we do is we're going to need to make sure we have those information rights. So we have eyes on what's going on. That's pretty common, but it's definitely something you don't want to miss when you make your agreements. Cause if it's not in the contract, you know, you can't count on it happening, but then jumping now forward to, to <laughs> since I derailed your thought process, uh, sorry, is governance, right? Is that what we're going to talk about first? Yeah. So let's start with governance. So, you know, I guess the first question is what is governance? And governance is going to be an understanding of how the company is run. And that's going to be at the management level, but more importantly, at the board level where there's management accountability. Uh, we, in our fund, uh, because we're early investors, and, you know, again, these companies are typically you know, on the continuum, less mature, not, not necessarily less valuable or important, but less mature as a company growing, that we like to be involved in the board, ideally as a voting board member, uh, if not that as a board observer, uh, because that gives us insight into the regular workings. And so, you know, rather than getting a quarterly update and saying, oh, look at all the good stuff that's happening, you know, we can really be involved in decision-making and, more importantly, we as a network of physicians can lend our guidance and um, hopefully anything, you know, any value we can help create, you know, being a part of those conversations. But you get to learn the business on a much deeper level as well. 
That's right. And and that's what's important is because the, the businesses are making what seems like quotidian decisions every day. They're not a big deal. Who do we hire? How do we offer them stock options? You know, what conferences do we want to go to? How do we pay for office space? All of those things are really important in the early stage because there's just not a lot of money and there aren't a lot of people and you can't, you know, you can't squander any of your resources because you just don't have that much. So the governance is really important. I think what's also important is recognizing that the lack of governance is a real problem. Um, you know, when, when, you know, you hope for the best and prepare for the worst in venture capital, I think that's probably true for everything. But I've seen many times that companies that are run poorly, and by run poorly, I mean without governance, without accountability, they cut corners, they make mistakes, and they feel invulnerable. And they they walk around with the attitude that everybody's telling me I'm wrong. That's why I know I'm right. You know, it's this hubris of, of entrepreneurship. And, you know, I mean, sometimes they're right, you know, but a lot of times they're not. And go ahead. I think like the greatest added value like you can bring, especially to those inexperienced founders, is knowing what questions to ask. Right. And obviously the people that can answer them, especially in niche industries like what we're operating in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so governance in the in the sort of the anti-matter state rather than the matter state is equally important because when companies don't have governance, that's okay. You know, a company that's, you know, two two people in a garage. They're not going to have a formal board and regular board meetings, but we can help them get that started, you know, put that in place. So so it's not a deal breaker per se, but we're going to want to make sure that they get that in place so that we can have, excuse me, oversight and accountability. And and quite frankly, then that that channel to know what's happening so that we can be involved. So governance is really important, and it's definitely one of those underappreciated, um, you know, areas of, of companies that it, when it's not done well, it really is bad. And that's also where you can get in all sorts of legal trouble as well if you, if you don't want it done right. Yeah, but I think it's important to help the founders build the company, like, you know, mm -hmm. especially because like, like we have the network of the experience and the expertise, which we can bring into the company. You know, especially from the due diligence process onwards to help them build from the ground up with strong foundations. So I think it's very important to get the governments right. Totally. totally. So let's let's talk about like we're talking about there about helping uh, startups build a company. Let's talk about fundraising and how we can help follow on from that. So fundraising is really interesting because in some ways the early investors become members of the team. We just led around on a really great company. And I was, as the leader of the round from our fund, I was leading the fundraise with the CEO of the company. So we were having regular phone calls and he would make introductions to me so that I could speak to a lot of the venture folks that he had met and thought were interested. So, you know, he screened a little bit. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't cold calling anybody, but had all these really great conversations with people, many of whom ended up investing in the company. So now they're a part of, you know, this company's family. 
you know, I'd like to think it was really an important value add for the company to help close a lot of the investors. Uh, in part, you know, again, in early healthcare, one of the things that's important is that people don't really understand necessarily the, you know, a lot of issues around it. And if you can't, it's sometimes hard to get the value. So having, you know, people like myself explain it in more layman terms, but really, you know, underline the the sort of the potential gravitas, I think was very helpful. So but fundraising is helpful in fundraising in future rounds. You know, we led this round. They're going, you know, future uh, investors are going to want going to want to know how we feel about the company when they're raising money for their next round. So I definitely think that it becomes relevant. And again, I'm happy to do that because I'm protecting our investment as well as we invest in this company because we think it's going to do something powerful. So we want it to be successful. So, so you know, like the head cheerleader. It's kind of like that, and but it's all this great alignment of needs, right? And you know, there's no real conflict here. Every everything I'm doing satisfies my investors, satisfies my passions, satisfies my fiduciary obligations, and satisfies my company. So it's it's really great, and you get to do this. And everybody, if you do it well, everybody's very grateful. So it's a very happy ecosystem, but it's really important. Like it really is. So let's go on to relationships. I think this is one of the big things. Yeah. So we helped our last uh, CEO meet his wife. You're not talking about that kind of relationship. No, I, unfortunately, not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't professional business. Huh? Imagine. Um, no. So what do we mean by that? We we mean that you know, like anything else, a company. It you know develops its product, but you know if you're if you write poems and nobody reads them, you know you can't be a famous poet, right? You can't you know. So they we help them. A venture capitalist, speaking more generally, helps companies with relationships, and that could be relationships internally, like helping find key you know, key employees like a chief technical officer, or in our case, a chief medical officer, which we've done. It could be something more generic, like an introduction to a manufacturer who you know has a good uh, reputation for being affordable and on time. Um, more importantly, to potential customers uh, is really critical. So, you know, in all of these relationships, we can play a role um, supporting those companies and particularly with respect to the companies that have to operate within the clinical system. Um, you know, we've, we've really made uh, on our fund side, a lot of introductions that have proven to be very valuable, whether it's finding, you know, key employees like a chief medical officer or advisors or key opinion leaders, or whether it's an introduction to a hospital or a hospital system or a medical society, um, or whether it's uh, helping to find the resources for a company, and by resources I mean the physical resources to you know do you know clinical trials or pilot studies. You know these are all important in the life cycle of an early stage healthcare startup. So having that access is really critical. Martin, one of the things that I've learned in business, which wasn't uh, which wasn't as true in medicine. I don't think, although it's probably true in everything on some level, is that there is such great value in a warm introduction. 
you know, having having you call somebody up and saying, you know, that, you know, and they trust you and saying, I'd like you to talk to Oren about the work he's doing is so much more powerful than me finding that person even on LinkedIn and sending them a cold email or getting their email from somewhere. And, you know, they may not even look at those things. So having us as a venture team make those relationship introductions, you know, it's, it's very helpful. And again, they're working, the companies are working on a limited resource. We don't want them hiring 15 people to do the work of 10. You know, we want everything lean, uh, you know, the whole lean startup methodology, uh, you know, is that you, you're not spending money when you don't need to. There's no comfort zone for a startup, you know. So, yeah, I think it's important, like, especially, you know, especially at the beginning of any investment or relationship, like, there needs to be a trust in the balance, um, especially between, you know, the venture capital fund and the founder, you know, so you got to build that trust with them as well. And it's like you said, you know, I think helping with, um, key hires are you know bringing in potential outside consultants to bring in new ideas i think that's an important step i believe so let's talk a little bit about execution because i know um this is one of the most important things we can bring to the table yeah i mean execution <laughs> you know when we talked about how we would frame this i think execution was the grab bag for everything else you know, basically the internal workings. I, the the way I envision it is things like governance and fundraising and introductions. Those are all things that happen outside of the bubble of the company, whereas execution, <clears throat> excuse me, is what's happening inside the bubble. Like, how do you how do you get the job done? And in that respect, you know, the venture the venture team can be almost a consultant. You know, many people who are in venture have walked the walk. And talk the talk. They've, you know, they've built and, you know, exited startups. So they bring a lot of experience to bear. Certainly, in our case, we have that as well as the fact that, you know, we have so many clinicians involved with our fund, including myself and, you know, a couple of my general partners, that we want to talk to our companies about how to be involved in the hospital. The hospitals, it's whole, you know, it's a whole nother universe to a lot of people. But for us, it's what we did every day or continue to do. So we can really help with those issues, you know, specifically, whether it's how do you package a product and get it to a patient, whether, you know, talks about marketing to physicians and getting involved in, you know, um, talks and, you know, the um, conferences and things like that. Um, you know, we can really support that. And, you know, that's really where the rubber meets the road for a company. So it's really critical uh, to make sure that gets done well. And, you know, of course, there's other issues in our space, like, you know, you know, getting your clinical trials through the IRB and getting them started and making sure the funding is there for that. And then, you know, beyond that, getting through the FDA and having good packages so that you can do it as quickly as possible. All of that stuff is really helpful. And again, they, you know, it sometimes feels like if you're an entrepreneur, you feel very lonely, yeah. right? And you can't necessarily show weakness or in maybe weakness isn't the right word, but indecisiveness or lack of vision to your coworkers because they need you to be their compass. But they can do that with your venture partners, I think, you know, because hopefully, hopefully we can add some value to them to, you know, move them in the right direction. 
So I just want to touch on that a little bit, like um, executive coaching, like especially for the modern day CEO or the modern day founder. Like, you know, for me, like I do this myself. Like, you know, I see executive coaching as a way to tackle their problems with the ego left at the door. Like, I know many VCs firms are now bringing on executive coaching to the table as a value add, but how important is it for you um, to have executive coaching as an add to the portfolio? Hmm. I mean, I think it's really important. It's funny. It's one of those things that, you know, if you don't need it, you don't really want it, but if they need it, you end up having to do a lot of it. Um, I don't know that we have anything I, you know, that we have any formal process, you know, so for me, it's more jazz talking to people when they need it and trying to help them figure out how we can help them and how they can get through whatever challenges in front of them. But uh, I think a more formal process is valuable. Do you, do you do something formal as an executive coach? I do. Um, just because, you know, it's like you said, founders, it's a lonely world. Like they mm -hmm. can't go to, um, the team to show weakness, they can go to the angel investors because at the end of the day, the angel investors have come for money and then they want to know that <laughs> they can do what they say they can do. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's it, it's been very important, especially for the founders I've helped along the way, um, more of a formal structure. So, well, yeah, like we can talk about this a little bit on. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was gonna say, I think it's really important. I, I think that, you know, what I would push back on, not, not to what you're doing, but more holistically, is that, again, you have a limited resource and time and money, right? So hiring fancy executive coaches, having Tony Robbins show up, you know, at a seminar <laughs> for the weekend, like there's no money for that, you know? Yeah. If that's where we are, we have a really big problem. So I, I think that, you know, what we've done is more informal when, when executives need support, we're always there. But at some point, they've got to fly. You know, at some point, you kick them out of the nest, and they've got to do what they've got to do, or they're going to fall, and you can't you can't run their company for them. So I like the idea of you know somebody like you coming in and doing a more formal process because that seems like it would have a better beginning, middle, and an end to it rather than you know the informality that we do. But I think you something like that could could. Uh, like anything else could take on its own life and we have to be careful about resources too yeah absolutely so talking about resources let's talk about exits because that's a big one <laughs> well exits is a big one and this is an interesting you know idea to talk about so first let's define you know for the audience what is an exit and if we recall maybe some of the other podcasts you know when you make an investment venture capital you're buying a privately held equity stake in a company or privately held security. And so there's not a really great way to get out of it. So if we buy stock today in Apple, we could sell it tomorrow. We might lose a little money. We might make a little money. We might not, you know, we might be on par, who knows. But in the private market, you, you don't have that kind of liquidity. You can't convert to cash quickly. So what venture capitalists look for are exits or liquidity events. In our space, that typically looks like either an acquisition or an IPO, although it could be things like licensing agreements and so forth that throws off you know, more of a dividend, but that's less than ideal. And remember, again, in venture, what we do is we invest in either a seed or in a growth capital so that 
there's an exponential potential return on our capital when it's invested. All of that is great, but means nothing unless there's an exit. And there's a further complication, which is most venture capital funds last about 10 years, which means that from the time of investment to the time of exit, I have at most 10 years and usually less than that because I have spent time raising the money within that 10-year fund and then finding the deals. So you really need to find a company that can exit, you know, four or five, six years, maybe. I don't know. However, you know, many years it is between your investment and that 10-year mark. Well, that's not always in the best interests of the company. You know, they may want to grow it more slowly. They may want to have even potentially a lifestyle business, you know, where it's throwing up enough money that they can be very happy and worry less about the investors. Part of the selection process before you invest is knowing that. Like it's really important. What do they want? What are their goals? What are their exit plans? But the problem or the challenge you run into with that is it's like saying, I want to get married when I'm 30 and have kids by the time I'm 32. That's a great plan and it's good to know you're on board, but you can't do it yourself. You know? <laughs> and and so, so you have to recognize that there are, you know, confounding factors, including, you know, how well you've grown. What's the, you know, what are the macroeconomic factors? Like there were a lot fewer exits that were, you know, great exits during COVID, for example. So that took, stole a whole year practically from, from companies in terms of their exit strategies. Um, so, you know, you want to, you want to know going in what they're doing and how they're going to do it, but then what can you do along the way to, you know, grease that wheel? I think that's really the question. How can you make material, uh, material, um, changes? And I think there are a few different ways. I mean, one of them is just planning, right? You have that conversation. You, you know, you should be planning for your exit long before, you're ready to exit. So you can start making relationships with uh, potential acquirers, for example, if that's your route. Um, you know, it's much better for Phillips or Edwards to talk to you years before you're planning to exit because, you know, first they'll get to know you, they'll see how your company works, but more importantly, you'll get to know them and know what they want. You are much stronger if you give them what they want than something they don't know that they want, you know. So, you know, planning and creating those relationships, nurturing those relationships over time, I think is really important. Of course, the best VCs, you know, have Rolodexes that are, you know, worth their weight and what's more, whatever's more expensive than gold by, you know, by a magnitude, you know, and, um, you know, like comet dust or something. And, uh, you know, and they can just call people and say, you need to look at this company because this company is going to make a big difference for you. Um, I don't have a Rolodex like that yet, but, you know, hey, if you if you think you belong in that Rolodex, call me and I'll, I'll get your name on it. Um, but but I think that's really important. And I think that's part of uh, that's part of talking to your venture capitalists is knowing how they can help you with the exit. You know, and then, as I was saying, there is a little conflict because, you know, you have to have an alignment of your goals. So it's a conversation you need to have. And, you know, as a as a VC, you want to be talking to your company and make sure that they haven't changed their mind once they've gotten their money or a year or two has passed, that they're still working in that direction. So 
you know, it's not so much that you want to get the exit and get the liquidity, but you really want to get the exit and get the liquidity. Yeah. That's, I guess that's what I'll say. That's the goal. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, you know, I mean, it sounds stupid, but you have to know how the sausage is made, right? I mean, that's life. If you know how the sausage is made, you'll go far. Yeah. And as a venture capitalist, when I'm raising money from limited partners and, you know, I go to some great endowment that loves what I'm doing and there's 20 people like me pitching them, you know, they're going to look at things like how much money am I returning to my limited partners and how quickly is that being returned? So that's called the internal rate of return. So it's basically like the annualized growth. Well, they want to know that. And if, you take an extra two years to exit your company than I than I thought or think is appropriate, that's just going to affect my internal rate of return. Now, maybe that extra two years creates a lot of value and it was a great choice. So it's not like there's just get out fast, you know, but, um, you know, it does matter. And so you have to, you know, process all of that and and know that. And so companies need to know that that's a priority. And this is where one of the ways in fact, many of these ways, you know, a lot of companies will say, we don't want venture money. And that's because the venture people come in and they have some priorities that diverge from your priorities and they may push you in directions you don't want to go because they're interested in building their, their portfolio value to demonstrate an internal rate of return. That's part of the agreement. Now, I don't think it's a deal with the devil. I think we're really here to help. But you do have to recognize that, you know, there may be a divergence of, of uh, you know, goals and you're going to have to be more flexible. Yeah. You know, if you want to, you know, live in, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a, um, you know, in a dictatorship, you know, don't take anybody else's money. Anyway, we're kind of running out of time for today, but do you want to cover the key takeaways first? Key takeaways, yeah. So, you know, I think the key, the the high level key takeaway is that, you know, venture capitalists, many of them will want to be involved with helping your company. Help is the key word there. And you may not always feel it's help because you may want to make the decisions yourself as an entrepreneur. And I understand that. But hopefully, you know, the good venture capitalists will play well in the sandbox with you. Of course, everybody's interests are aligned to want greatness from you and your company. And there's no question that we don't get rewarded if there's a failure. So, you know, we're definitely rooting for you. So, you know, really harnessing that energy and using it, you know, for the forces of good will behoove you and that's one of the reasons why developing a relationship before you take anybody's money is so important because you'll understand their style and they'll understand your, your style and it can be a better match because you'll be working together. So do that, you know, and they'll be involved with governance and they'll help you raise money and they'll introduce you to people and, um, you know, hopefully look internally into the business and give you insights that will make you better, faster and stronger. Awesome. Thanks, Evan. Well, I think that's going to be it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, I, our next episode is going to be on how to source and filter companies. Um, so again, if you have any questions for me, you can email me at martin at globalhealthimpactnetwork.net or follow me on Twitter and DM me at martin underscore eels. 
Um, I'll put the links in the bio for these. Again, we thank you all for listening. Owen, it's been an absolute pleasure as usual. I'll catch you next time. Thanks, Martin. Hey, also, I'm on Twitter at, at @orinac, and I literally never use it. But if people <laughs> at me, I will start to use it. So this is my audience challenge. So if you DM have, him and he doesn't respond, it's because he doesn't use it. <laughs> no, I look, I read it. I doom scroll all the time, but I never actually post anything. But if you at me, I will, I will communicate. So I would love to hear from you too. And thanks, Martin. It's always a pleasure. You do such a fun podcast. Thanks for having me be a part of it. Right. Thanks, Aaron. See you next week. Bye-bye.